On this episode of Now Common Convos, we sit down with Jen Coldry of the Upside Foundation and the Homefront. Uh, what's really exciting about this episode is how timely it is given the current state of the world when it comes to the global pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and a lot of things that are taking place uh, with a ton of need happening in our world uh, at the moment and how companies and startups are stepping up. So Jen shares a lot of great tips on what founders and startups can do uh, to have a positive social impact with their business. Uh, And Jen, of course, um, is a huge person in the world of social responsibility in the Canadian tech community. Um, She works with a number of startups and is on the board of a number of charities um, that are constantly working on how to make a positive impact. So um, yeah, please enjoy this full action-packed episode full of tips on Now Common Combos. excited to have this conversation with you yeah me too um, first so um i wanted to just you know mention that obviously as a as a company um you know you know that now has been working on working on a lot of branding projects social projects and we love focusing on on brands that are that have a social purpose kind of focus built into them um but there's a lot of opportunity out there for brands who are looking to take action and increase what they can do to give back not only as a one-time thing, but how they can integrate that into what they do. Um, so um, again, we're gonna we're gonna hope we're gonna hopefully touch on a few examples today and uh, get some tips for companies and startups who are looking to do more uh, to make an impact. Um, and to start off, obviously, I wanted to get a little bit about your um, background first. Uh, we'll dive into a little bit of your history, uh, and then we're gonna talk about why this is important in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, when I was younger, I was I was definitely a bleeding heart in in high school and wanted to save the world. So I thought I would spend my career in international development. Um, I spent some time in Africa doing some international development work and uh, ended up deciding that that wasn't the path for me. Um, so I was in business school at the time, and I decided that corporations had a lot of influence in the world in terms of the power they yield and the people they impact. So I decided that I would get a business degree and focus on helping companies to be more socially responsible. And that's sort of been the undercurrent for my career. So I spent the first five years of my career in corporate consulting um, and then wanted to shift to a more impact focused type of work. So I did some work with a corporate social responsibility consulting firm. And then from there made the shift into the Upside Foundation uh, where I was the first employee ever hired. um, And now I get to work with early stage high growth companies who want to embed giving back in their company from the beginning and enable them to do throughout to do so through equity donations um, of course you know that Daniel because you are a member of the upside yes. foundation um, yeah, and so it's just amazing to be able to work with uh, with all these um, very ethical companies that want to be uh, getting back with their with their company exactly well yeah thank you so much for the work that you're doing it's been uh, incredible to kind of see the progress um, and collectively see the impact being part of the community with, you know, for example, the Slack community to see all these um, startups and companies uh, in Canada who are looking to, to make an impact with uh, their business. Um, so um, that being said, I wanted to, you know, dive into uh, why, first of all, for those who aren't familiar, why is it important for businesses 
um, and their founders and their leaders to have a positive social impact. Uh, and of course, given the current climate, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of reasons why this is coming to the surface and kind of being pushed into um, our, our daily mindset. Um, but yeah, I would love to talk about, you know, why you think it's so important. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this week more than ever, we've seen why this is important, both in terms of really positive opportunities, as well as really negative reactions to companies when they're not thinking about their social impact. Um, this is this is such a fascinating time in um, I'm going to go as big to say is the history of the world. Uh, I've never seen things change as fast as they've changed in the last week. Um, but you're, you're seeing things. So we'll take two really public examples of responding to Black Lives Matter as really timely examples. So on the one hand, you have Ben and Jerry's who came out with a very powerful uh, statement using really strong language, things like police brutality and white supremacy um, and really, really using that language. And they're being lauded all over the place, right? You, can, you mm -hmm. can't go anywhere without seeing uh, their, their uh, statement being posted or the, the my favorite is the, the meme of their, their statement that they've made. Um, but, you know, people who previously have said, I would never buy that product are now saying, you know, I will never buy anything by Ben and Jerry's because this company is not only talking the talk, but they've been walking the walk for years and years and years. Um, yeah. On the other side of it, um, this morning I saw um, CrossFit, the CEO of CrossFit came out and made a tweet and it was, it's 13 characters. Um, I believe it was in response, it, it was in response to something around Black Lives Matter. And he yeah. basically said, um, Floyd 19, basically saying, sorry, I'm not going to get into what he was trying to say there, yeah. but sort of mocking the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. Overnight, he's effectively lost his entire business. Reebok has pulled their sponsorship mm -hmm. of him. All of his gyms are disassociating. Um, he's, he's effectively lost his business from one simple tweet. So it's just showing the power of how people are paying attention and they care. And if you are, they're watching whether you're being ethical or not. And it, it ha can happen that quickly if people feel you are not an ethical company and they don't want to be associated with you. Absolutely, for sure. And, and people, it's great. People are being a lot more um, mindful and a lot more aware of this because really when you are making a decision to make a purchase, um, you, that you are essentially funding the actions and the beliefs of that business, right? And so yeah. um, it, it works both ways, right? In this case, um, you know, through the Upside Foundation, we're, we're using it as a way to educate people on the companies that are doing good and have shown these commitments. But yeah, in, in the case of uh, that business, it works the opposite um, way as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so how, can, how can founders kind of stay informed? Because as you mentioned, things have changed very, very quickly. Um, how can founders stay informed, like especially those ones that, like I said, they, they are so focused on their actual day to day of their business that maybe they haven't had a chance to even take a step back and, and consume as much of the news. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, I, I very much feel for leaders at this time. This has been an exhausting time to be a leader. You know, we've had, you know, COVID hit and all of a sudden everybody's plans changed. Everybody's um, marketing plans changed. Their business development plans changed. And that, you know, the, the joke was that throughout March and April, every week you wrote a new strategic plan and a week later yeah. it was obsolete, right? And it was right. exhausting to try to project what was going to happen and how to respond. And now Black Lives Matter has hit. And all of a sudden it's, it feels like the same thing again where all of a sudden you have to pivot everything. You have to pivot your messaging. Do uh, you have the, you know, anything you had planned may or may not be relevant anymore. Um, so it is, it is an exhausting time to try to keep up. I think, and, and this is, you know, large corporations struggle with this, let alone small businesses. Yep. Um, yes. 
I think the best you can do is um, try to surround yourself with people who can help you along that journey. So Daniel, I know your team has been amazing at sharing examples, um, especially, you know, in the last week with, with Black Lives Matter of, you know, I know you posted last week an example of here's what not to do. Here's the what yeah. brands are, are doing that they're getting in trouble for. Here's an example of what not to do. And then you're also sharing some really positive examples. So following people like you who are tuned in and who are monitoring it and can help guide them along that journey is really important. Um, we're doing the same thing at the Upside Foundation. So when you are a really small organization, you have the ability to pivot really fast, right? So um, when COVID hit, um, I think it was about Tuesday or Wednesday, March 9th, that we sort of started catching on that something really big was about to happen. Um, I think the NBA was canceled on Thursday night. And by mm -hmm. Friday, we had launched our how to um, manage your business during COVID-19. So we were able to respond that quickly. The next yep. week, we had a webinar with some of our founders who had been through previous recessions to offer that perspective. Um, within two days of uh, the government legislation around um, the financial aid being launched. We had a webinar on that with our accountants. Uh, with, last week, we hosted a workshop on anti-racism. So if you surround yourself with these types of people who are able to spend more time thinking about this stuff and guiding that, then it can help you sort of jump ahead and not have to spend you know, the, the five hours a day on Twitter that I was over the weekend. Um, yes. But you get to sort of like leapfrog and just jump into that. Exactly, for sure. And one thing um, that I will also mention is, yeah, it's, it's amazing as an organization, you've been able to respond to this, provide these resources for founders who are looking for their own. Um, it's, it's important to look for um, resources from organizations that are actually kind of out there already doing this type of work, right, mm -hmm. where there are experts in this area already too. Um, so it's it's great to be able to to turn to those people uh, in these times because you know this is what they do right, um, and you want to you want to try to work with organizations that are already going to be you know inclusive at their core right. Um, Absolutely. This is a great time to kind of make those um, conscious decisions too. Um, yeah. And, and of I course, think you know as we talk about about business generally, one of the most important things is to you know find your tribe is to find other people who get it, and that's that's always critical right. It's always important to have other founders, other peers that you can talk to candidly and share your challenges and learn what they're doing. But that is more so true now than ever, right? As nobody yes. knows what to do. Nobody has a playbook. But if you at least have those four or 10 people that you can say, what are you guys doing to respond to this? Yes. That can help you sort of learn from others because no one's figuring this out. But if we can learn from each other, um, we can all get there a little bit faster. Got it. Perfect. So we're going to get into some more specific examples and situations, but I wanted to um, get you, Jen, to explain a little bit about, uh, you know, what makes the Upside Foundation unique and what you do. You did just mention some examples of how you quickly pivoted to provide different programming, which is great. Um, but yeah, explain the model of the Upside Foundation to those uh, who don't know. Yeah, so the Upside Foundation is for founders who want to make the world a better place through their businesses. And I think that's a lot of people, right? When you look at a lot of people, when you ask them the reason why they started their company, it's because they wanted to see something exist in the world that doesn't already exist. They wanted to make a positive impact. Yes, usually there is, you know, a, a goal to, you know, find independence or to earn revenue as well. But, you know, a lot of it comes down to wanting to make the world a better place in some way. Um, but this is really hard, right? You know, we're talking about right now, there's no blueprint for this. Um, it's really hard to figure out how to do that and to pair 
all the ways of making an impact positive and negative with running a business. So effectively, the Upside Foundation was designed for early stage high growth companies who want to give back, but don't have money to give back today and don't have time to be volunteering today, but want to tie their long term success to a donation back to the community. So through us, companies can donate a small portion of equity, typically through stock options to charity, which means that when hopefully one day they become a very large successful company, sell the business or go public, then all the equity that we own is then converted to cash and donated to the charity of their choice. So it's a way of making a commitment to give in the future that is non-retractable. You can't take it back. It's locked in stone. So your employees know that you really, really stand behind this. Um, you don't actually have to give up the money until you have that large liquidity event. Makes sense. Absolutely. And can you give us a, a couple of examples of, of some of those um, companies that are currently that have currently taken the pledge? Yeah, so right now we have 275 member companies that range from really small companies that are just getting started all the way up to companies that have raised, you know, $100 million and have hundreds of employees. So some of the most well known companies are, of course, now creative, um, Wealth Simple, Wattpad, Hubba, Hopper, Borowell. Uh, so we have a lot of really amazing companies in the network across all different industries, mostly focused in tech. Um, and in terms of exit, so far we've seen seven companies have exit events. We have raised $1.275 million for charity, um, for eight different charities. So all of those companies chose different causes that they wanted to support through their yes. exit dollars. Amazing. And uh, the, the, the great thing about this, the impact that you'll have with the Upside Foundation is that it, it kind of continues along. You're kind of setting the foundation now. Um, so that in the future, a lot of these businesses will be able to to donate, hopefully, uh, very large uh, sums in the future as well. Exactly. Um, amazing. And then, um, so when it comes to actually, we were going to touch on the home front a little bit later. Um, yeah. But I actually wanted to dive in um, now just because it is, of course, connected to the work you're doing right now. Um, so the home front for everyone knows is is an initiative um, to help provide, you know, very important uh, PPE and other um, supports to frontline workers. Um, and that is um, an initiative that started by Jen, um, and it's now connected with the Upside Foundation. So um, I'd love to know if you could explain to us how the Homefront initiative um, came to be very quickly, and then how has it evolved as COVID-19 has continued on? Yeah, so when COVID-19 hit, I, as I'm sure like many of you, um, it was very distressing to learn about what was happening, especially, you know, at the time in mid-March, we were starting to see what was happening in Italy, and then it was in New York, and we were pretty sure that that was what was going to end up happening here. And this was just devastating to think of, you know, a first world country running out of basic medical supplies and having, you know, people dying in hallways. And it was just horrific to hear about what was happening and the piece that really struck me was the idea of our um, healthcare workers, the, the front line in this war against COVID, if you use that, that analogy, <laughs> um, going into battle unequipped, right? That's, it felt like the, the, the comparison being, you know, sending soldiers into war without a gun. And that was just mm -hmm. so beyond what was comprehensible to me as a Canadian citizen. I just never, ever conceived that we could be in that kind of a place. So I was, I was very distraught. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I could help. And then I saw a friend of mine, Diana House, who lives in London, Ontario, and she had built this really grassroots initiative that was sourcing PPE on the ground. And this was before, when I first started talking to her, I was like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? Like the government finds PPE. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, what do you right. mean you're finding PPE? I didn't even know what PPE was at the time. And she's like, no, you don't understand. Like the government um, 
organizations only have their core supply chain and they can't go beyond that. They, you know, they're not creative. They're not resourceful. They have too many, you know, there's too much bureaucracy in the way they can't go outside of that. So we're being really creative and really scrappy and on the ground to find them for them, to find this for them. So I said, okay, you know what, we're going to start this here in Toronto. We're going to help like take what you've done and build more of a framework around it. So we started that in mid-March, uh, about March 17th, um, and we put out a call for applications, and we got over 100 people applying to volunteer with us, which was amazing. And then yeah. we had to figure out what to do. And this is the most complicated issue I've ever attempted to get involved with because everything changed so fast. Everyone had a different message. Every hospital, every healthcare worker we talked to had a different perception of what the needs were, what the urgency was. It was so, so difficult to try to understand how we could be helpful here. And my greatest fear was getting in the way of saying, you know, if we all of a sudden go in there and try to raise a whole bunch of money and buy PPE, that then are we just contributing to the problem of driving up prices so that the government can't actually buy the from the sources they're used to buying from so we were really nervous about that and um so what we decided to focus on was curating because there's a, a whole bunch of other groups popped up so there's dozens and dozens of other groups who are doing something similar so we said you know what we're going to be a resource curation point but we're going to take what everybody else is doing and just make sure that our website is a portal where if you are a healthcare worker looking for resources whether it's ppe accommodations meals, mental health support, you can find it on our site and we will help facilitate those connections for you. So we did a lot of that work. And then the second thing we did was fundraising. So we have a lot of really amazing organizations in our network, such as you guys with your Maskwell initiative. Um, and a lot of these organizations wanted to give back. So a lot of individuals, a lot of organizations have been donating to the home front. And basically what we do is try to figure out where the greatest need is and funnel the funds there. So our first two grants went to a long-term care facility that was experiencing an outbreak and a shelter that was experiencing an outbreak. Um, and now where we're at is that this issue has evolved so quickly, right? So PPE isn't really the issue anymore. That's mostly been solved. We're not seeing the same level and severity of outbreaks in the long-term care homes as before. So, but this, the clue, this isn't going away. Our numbers aren't going down. We're still seeing 400 plus people coming up positive every day in Ontario. Nice. Um, deaths are continuing to skyrocket. I can't even imagine the kind of mental health strain that these healthcare workers are under after months and months of that adrenaline rush and having to go in and don your PPE and it's just so stressful for them but we're working right now to figure out where the right spot is to allocate the next round of grants to figure out if it's you know are we helping to prepare people for the second wave are we helping to support them with PPE are we helping to support um, personal support workers that tend to get less supports than nurses and doctors we're not sure but we're talking to to experts in the space to understand where the money can best be funneled Right. And yeah, and you're not specifically, you know, a medical based organization. So you have the ability to support, you know, whatever is in in, in the greatest need at that time. Um, and you're right, it, it, you launched at a time where it, we weren't sure exactly what the needs were and, and who who's what supplies should be going where. Um, so it, it's been great to see the, the progress that you made it. And as you mentioned, um, now has been super um, happy to be involved. We yeah. were able to contribute through Maskwell, which is um, you know, for people who watched uh, last week or the week before, we had a whole live with uh, Natter, who's um, on the team uh, here at Maskwell, where we're, we're you know, distributing um, our proceeds from these masks to um, the home front, which is, you know, again, it's, it's so important to have a social purpose business where, 
you know, the actual business is providing something that's needed. It's, it's important for public mm -hmm. safety and health right now. Uh, and at the same time, we're able to help those um, on the front lines who, um, you know, really, really need that support. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I have to applaud you for that. It's, you guys launched MaskWell so fast and <laughs> we're able to provide something that is so desperately needed. And, as, and I know on your site, like things are always sold out. There's just, there's so much demand for this that yep. it, it was so essential. And, and it was amazing to see you step forward and launch something so quickly. And not only, as you said, meet an urgent, urgent healthcare need, but also be able to give back at the same time. So huge kudos to you and your team for, for launching that so fast. Thank you. And yeah, we're, we're super happy to be working um, with uh, the home front because again, we know that we're not the experts in deciding you know, what is the biggest need and where does that go, right? And so you're working with various um, partners to help allocate those grants um, when they're needed. Um, so I wanted to um, switch gears and talk for any entrepreneurs or businesses. Um, this is, you know, a question that we do get from time to time as well. Um, we like to work with clients who do already have some type of social purpose or you know charitable component. Um, we do work with a ton of nonprofits already, but for those entrepreneurs or startups um, that do not have any kind of formal giving program or donations that are built into their purchase like MaskWell, um, what are some things that um, those founders or those companies can do right now? Yeah, and again, this has been a really interesting time to watch how people have stepped into this given their um, their existing resources and connections. So, I mean, one really cool example that we saw pop up was Nix. So one of their greatest assets was that they had the networks and connections in with Chinese suppliers and Chinese manufacturers. So they were able to bypass a lot of the challenges that others were right. having in sourcing and importing PPE. So they were able to use that um, resource they had in order to do that. So that was one really cool example. Um, I think a nice framework for thinking about, um, I mean, I guess there's, there's two sort of frameworks you could use. One is thinking about the impact of your business. So one is, you know, giving back in terms of your community contributions, in terms of your charitable donations. One is thinking about your actual business operations, how you treat your people, um, your supply chain, your environmental impact. Mm -hmm. um, and then one is your advocacy. So we're seeing a lot more of that now. That's becoming a lot more expected of companies to make statements, whereas before people would have shied away from being too political. Um, yes, I think right. those are three levels to look at. And then if you're looking at charitable um, contributions specifically, um, there's also a few different ways to look at that. So one is looking at financial contributions to so being able to make a donation. One is being able to give your time, so help to volunteer with charity. Um, and then the third piece is to, um, to give equity. So that's, uh, that's obviously what we help people do who don't have money to give, who don't have time to donate. Um, and then the fourth one would be product. So uh, whatever you, you do for people being able to do that um, for, for free. Uh, so one example of that is uh, another Upside member is called Envoy, and they help do um, shipping. So like the last mile of shipping, helping to, to do sort of on the ground delivery. And they've been working with uh, Sampler, a local company that's helping to um, sew masks. They've been working with Unicorn care which is actually another COVID response initiative led by another upside member named Sergey Kalnish um, and they're really helping to do that so leveraging what they do just in a charitable context right that makes sense exactly because if you have that expertise already right it's, it's amazing to find that fit and, and we love when that alignment happens right between your expertise and what you can provide and, and the cause that you're able to support it's it's amazing when that um, comes to fruition 
Um, exactly. So you did mention a few examples here, and I wanted to talk about you know your thoughts um, or highlights of some um, contributions from startups or corporations um, that have been they've been making so far, either during the pandemic or during the protests that are happening right now. Um, if you have any examples, I wanted to start off with with Reddit because. Um, the founder of Reddit, uh, Alexis Ohanian, yeah. very famous entrepreneur, um, he did something amazing. And, and this, it's not just about giving money, right? I think this is um, a very epic example of, of leadership, right? And, you know, one of the issues with, with major startups right now, including the major companies like Facebook and so many others, is the actual representation uh, on the board, right? And we don't have diverse representation, whether it's through gender, through race, um, through anything, right? Um, and so with Reddit, um, he actually gave up his seat on his own company's board, and he doesn't <laughs> actually even have a day-to-day -day role there. So this is literally his only involvement uh, in Reddit. So he gave up that seat. Um, and he wants it to be filled specifically with a black individual. Mm -hmm. And um, on top of all that, he's donating his future um, stock earnings from Reddit to causes to advance diversity and support the black community in the state. So kudos to, to him. Uh, kudos Absolutely. to Reddit. Um, I also saw Reddit put out a few, you know, bits, a, a few pieces of content on their own social about this. And they changed their, their icon from uh, their typical orange color to black. Uh, all together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's amazing seeing that. And then of course, a Canadian example, we have Shopify, who committed about a million dollars, divided up over three different causes recently, and they, they acted pretty uh, quickly on that as well. Um, yeah. But again, that's specifically on, you know, on, on the funding side. Um, but yeah, if there's any other examples that you know, um, it'd be great to share. Yeah, it's 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 such a fascinating, fascinating time. Um, it's been so interesting to observe how different companies are responding to this um, and the extent to which they are responding to it and the speed by which they are responding to <laughs> it. Um, so I know, you know, we're seeing um, a range of companies who are making public statements quickly and then figuring out the actions later. Other companies I know are taking a, want to take action internally first before they make their, their external right. statement. So right. it's, um, there's a wide variety of approaches here. Um, the other thing that's, that's really interesting with this is that, you know, different, um, you call them social causes gain um, mainstream credibility at different rates, right? So, mm. I mean, it's it's pretty, it's not controversial anymore to support Pride Month, right? You see now the major banks, like they'll change their logos for the month of June to be yep. rainbow. And that's not controversial anymore. That is like fully accepted. You can talk about equal rights for the LGBTQ community and there, that doesn't seem to be controversial anymore. Um, Black Lives Matter is still getting there, right? Like most companies made a statement last week, but many companies didn't say the word black in their statement. So it's really interesting to observe how different, like different movements gain credibility and, you know, watching companies sort of doing a, a mapping of the landscape to see what is acceptable, what can we talk about, what is controversial, what is the general public sentiment on this, and when is it safe? for us to to jump in with that. And that is, I think, where a small business has a um, has a leg up in that they don't have to be as conservative as large companies. Um, they're not going to get as big of a blowback if they make, you know, a well-intentioned misstep in their uh, responses. So I think they, they have a lot more leeway. Um, 
one res- one uh, reactive um, response that I saw yesterday that I was very impressed by was um, Chris Eben from TWG. Um, so he came out um, and again, the language used was was very strong. So we're seeing a wide range of language from, you know, people calling for unity and justice to people saying Black Lives Matter to people talking about white supremacy and police brutality. Um, they used pretty strong language. They talked about what they're doing internally with their team to help address their own issues. And they made a $25,000 contribution to um, Black Lives Matter. Again, which a year ago, even that organization was seen as like a fringe organization, very political, mm-hmm. maybe dangerous. And so for an organization to be making donations to them now is is very forward thinking. So I was very impressed to see um, he sort of ticked the, the three boxes there, the like statement against it, the um, what are you doing externally to support and what are you doing internally to, to look at your own house. Um, and that I think is where people get in trouble is when they make statements. So YouTube is an example. Um, they made the statement, they made the donation, and they got called out hard because they don't live it internally, right? So they right. donated, I think, a million dollars to different organizations. And then people called them out for saying, you know, white supremacists use your platform all the time to spread their message and recruit people. So it's, uh, you, you have to be careful, but those are really the three p- pieces you want to look for. And it's fully up for debate as to what order you do those in or what speed you do those at. But I think those are the three pieces that, that companies need to think about. Absolutely. That, that, that's a huge consideration. And, and it goes back to something that April on our team always mentions is that, you know, this needs to be something that's already part of what you do and who you are and, and who you support. It can't just be, um, you know, usually the places or the situations when companies are making these small mistakes or sometimes big public mistakes is they're donating without knowing, right? Or they're posting something without actually knowing, you know, what is the, the root behind this or what's the cause, what's the problem we're actually trying to solve here, right? They, they, they just kind of make a, a general action or, or, or blanket statement. Um, yeah. I think sometimes that's, that's coming across as worse because it's not, it's not necessarily genuine. It's not making an impact. And, and of course, our, our talk today is all about actually making a social impact, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it, it, you bring up a really great point, Daniel, because, you know, it's one thing if you're Ben and Jerry's, right? If you've been doing this for 20 years, walking the talk, you can make bold statements and people will cheer you. If that right. same statement had been made by a company that hadn't been doing this for 20 years and wasn't walking the talk, they probably would have been ripped apart for it. So I guess uh, I really feel for leaders right now, because if you haven't been doing this for 20 years, it's really hard to know what to do, right? Do you make a statement that says we recognize this and we're going to try to do better, knowing that you're putting yourself out there to risk that people are going to say, well, I see your board right now and it's all white people and you have no diversity. So how dare you make this statement? (laughs) Or do you keep quiet and then right. people may call you out for saying, we see your silence loud and clear. So it's a really, really tough time to navigate that. Um, I think I think the, the best place you want to see people is, um, you know, saying something um, and making a commitment to be doing better and then putting in the work to do better and continuing to report on that going forward. Um, but this, yeah. this call-out culture is fascinating, right? Because on the one hand, it's important to know that people are watching and watching your company and what you're doing and what you're saying. And on the other hand, it can be really... Um, it can really make people be scared, too scared to engage because they're too nervous about being called out. Right, absolutely. I guess... Uh... Lou Rose agrees 100% in there. Um, <laughs> and, and it's true. And it's it's an evolving uh, journey, depending on, like you said, the stage of the company, how nimble they can be. Um, 
and, and the actual makeup of that business, right? Who are their investors? Who's on their board? Mm-hmm. Um, who, who's their team? So, you know, it, it's, it's great when companies, like you said, Ben and Jerry's, like, I, I, I saw a graphic the other day of, of the two, like, like of Ben and Jerry themselves um, talking about how they were, you know, they were arrested at some point for yeah. protesting. <laughs> and it's like, it's really amazing to see that, you know, it wasn't a one-time thing. They're putting themselves yeah. behind it. And yeah, and, and for, for many, many years, they've had um, this embedded into what they do. So that's great. Um, I would love to see the, the tech community kind of act, you know, a little bit quicker on, on issues like this. And, and maybe there's ways that, you know, we can help them to be better set up in the first place, right? Because it, you do need that infrastructure there. You do need that, you know, way to be, uh, way to uh, showcase what you're doing and, and formalize your programs um, and not just kind of, think of it as a, as a one-off thing too. So um, yeah, I mean, the Upside Foundation, I'm sure can, can be a resource for that. And you are providing resources um, all the time, which is, which is amazing. Um, so we, we touched on, you know, a little bit of uh, mistakes and some recommendations there. Um, I also, could you talk really quickly, just the example of the, the uh, workshop that you hosted um, pretty quickly, I think last week mm-hmm. um, through Upside? Yeah. So, I mean, we are not experts on this by any means. Um, we believe in this and want to be supportive, but we are not experts. So we partnered with an Upside member uh, named Mesh Diversity. Um, and so they've been working in this space for a very long time. And in particular, um, one of their co-founders is a man named Dr. Lino Karamanchari. Um, and he has been working in this space for 28 years. He has a PhD in this work. Um, so we knew that we could rely on him um, to bring that perspective to this conversation. Um, so one of the, we, we hosted this workshop and I was really nervous going into it, right? This is a very heated topic and, you know, it's, it, it is a very, it can be very controversial and we were really, really nervous going in to host this, you know, is this going to be well received? Are people going to want to show up? Is this, you know, is this going to go over well? And it was, it was incredible. And we got incredibly positive feedback from people on the workshop itself, um, and, and 99% of that kudos goes to Dr. Lino. He was incredible. Um, people, you know, were calling me afterwards saying that they had never felt so um, invited into the space of diversity and inclusion. You know, he made it very clear that, you know, we're not perfect and that's okay. And, you know, we all need to, to be striving to do better. But he made people feel like they wanted to jump in and do better and not feel blamed or accused for, for you know, whatever they've done in a lack of action in the past, um, but really inviting people to the table to, to really help people deeply understand how embedded this is in our culture and how invisible it is to us when we are white and have not been experiencing this. Um, so it was really powerful. Um, we're, I think we're actually going to host the same workshop again because a lot of people wanted to attend that weren't able to make it the first time. Mm-hmm. And then we'll hopefully host a follow-up uh, sort of um, uh, uh, anti-racism 201 um, in in uh, a few weeks or, or a month from now um, for people who want to sort of take that next step. Um, that being said, there is a ton of other resources out there on this. So I know Mesh Diversity is hosting a workshop on allyship uh, later this week. So that would be awesome. And I would definitely recommend checking that out. Um, there's also another woman whose name I forget, um, Rachel Rogers, I think, um, who's hosting a um, 
town hall for small businesses on how to be anti-racist with the premise of we're going to give you the blueprint for how to do this. So I would definitely check that out on uh, on Wednesday uh, evening uh, because it sounds like that's going to be a really, really powerful way to learn tactical ways to start thinking about how you build this into your business. Amazing. Yeah, it, it's really great that you're having the, the follow up workshops as well, because, you know, it, it's, it's not a one time thing. Um, and I did see somewhere on social media on, on LinkedIn, where people, you know, are continuously calling out for they want trainers in uh, equity, mm -hmm. diversity, uh, and, and inclusion. And, and, and again, people are saying, Okay, well, wait, don't just host one workshop at your company. Like, yeah, what are you going to do after that workshop? Right? So, so it's, it's great that people are looking to take the first step. And then hopefully there are resources. Um, well, there are many, many resources out there that can um, help you to continue um, to take these steps uh, moving forward as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when we were first planning the workshop with with Dr. Lino, I came to the table and I said, OK, here's what I think we should do. We should host a workshop that helps people figure out, you know, the three steps that I have determined are the right steps. What are you going to say? What are you going to do internally? What are you going to do externally? And we'll do breakouts and then everyone can leave with their plan. And he very kindly was like, look, <laughs> that's not how this works. <laughs> this is not a checklist. This is not something you're going to solve in one workshop. You, you can't spend two hours and come up with your checklist and then you're good. This is like deep, deep work. And I think that's one of the things that's really hard about this topic in particular is that there's a lot of things your company needs to do, but almost more importantly, there's a lot of things you need to do as an individual. Yes. And there's like a lot of work that needs to happen, a lot of resources that need to be, um, you know, learned about and absorbed and a lot of reflection. And, and I think that would be my recommendation um, on any of these issues is for people to, to take that time to say, you know, what are, to, to your point about Alexis Ohenian with Reddit, say, you know, what are my areas of privilege? What are, what areas do I have power over? And how can I use that space and that um, privilege that I have to open up the conversation and open up space for black people and other represent underrepresented groups to find space in there and actually giving up opportunities for yourself in order to make space for those people. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and like, as you mentioned, it is, it is kind of an ongoing uh, process for everyone here. Um, there are certain, you know, situations where um, you do need to address them immediately, especially if there are concerns among your employees um, or how mm -hmm. people are interacting, right? Those definitely need to be addressed, but for the most part, uh, it's a process. And, um, you know, you would hope that from a leadership perspective, it can be, uh, you know, really, I really hope that more leaders in the space can kind of be an example, right? And, and lead by example um, on how they'll, they'll treat issues like this. Um, being inclusive from day one, right? It's 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 super straightforward. It's, it's sometimes it gets, um, overlooked and of course there's there's a bit of a culture in certain um niches within the startup community where you know by default people are hiring their friends um or they're hiring friends of friends and you end up mm -hmm. with the same type of person duplicated uh within your whole organization and and what happens is it scales that way too right i'm no expert in hiring and hr but i know that um, when you have, you know, your core team is all of one background, it's very easy to stick with that mentality because they're all going to refer other people from their own network, from their own mm -hmm. schools, and you tend to have the same uh, type of people. And, and companies, it's been proven that, you know, they're, they're definitely more effective 
um, when they have a more diverse um, perspectives, backgrounds and experiences on their team. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of amazing opportunities for companies to kind of step up and, and come to the plate here as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I think part of the the challenge here is that sometimes this just feels so exhausting and like it's so hard to get right that you just stop engaging, right? So I saw someone on Twitter this week saying, you know, we our company gets an A for uh, gender diversity, but an F for um, for racial diversity, and. Um, you know, I, th I think that's an interesting lens of saying, you know, mm. we've been so focused on trying to find diversity from a gender perspective that we sort of forgot about this racial thing. And now they're recognizing that's a problem. And then someone else piped into the conversation um, and said, well, you know, just because you have women and men, you know, you're not actually thinking about all the different types of gender from an LGBTQ perspective. And um, I, I yeah. think sometimes like it, this, this is hard, right? Like running a company is hard. And then you add on this lens of trying to make sure that you are thinking about all these different pieces. And, and it's, it's really, really hard work. And I think our job is to try to make it easier for people to um, keep this stuff top of mind and, and help it to be a part of the business culture. Because, you know, what you don't want is people saying, you know what, this is too hard. I, I'm not going to try anymore because I just can't win. Um, so how do we celebrate those wins and help people move along and always evolve? Um, while not feeling like people have to be shunned because they're not perfect from day one. Right, absolutely. Um, and and one thing I, I wanted to mention too is, um, you know, this comes down to when you are making decisions with partners, um, companies to work for, suppliers, you know, it's, it's so important to look at that perspective. Like, do they have mm -hmm. the same perspective and lenses you, or, you know, are, do they, does their staff all look the same as your staff, right? Like, how can you diversify from that perspective too? And um, it's just, I don't know, sometimes I think about it, it, it all depends on everyone's background. But for, for now, personally, like, I, for whatever reason, I, I, I always grew up with, you know, an extremely diverse um, group of people, both with my nonprofit organization, with Not Creative Group, um, any of the initiatives I've been part of, we've always had such a diverse um, group. And, and for me, it was never something that I even had to think about. It was just by default. Um, and that even that's even as um, the example you gave earlier about, you know, for example, gender um, diversity. Well, at one point, my team was like 80% or the most, most of them were uh, female as well, right? So it's like, I'm, um, I guess for some people, it's subconscious for other people, they really have to work at it. And I mm -hmm. think that this it's, it's, a, it's an amazing time for companies to evaluate. Um, I just hope that again, it's, it's not just a temporary thing that they're, that they're looking at covering or checking yeah. off a box. Uh, it's, it's gotta be beyond checking off a box, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that Dr. Lino said that really, really, um, resonated with me was he said, either you believe that white men are better and smarter than every, everyone else, or you believe there's a systemic problem. Right. If you look at like the typical makeup of most leadership teams, especially of larger companies. And if you believe that there is a systemic problem, then what that means is that your company is actually missing out on most of the top talent that you could have. And so I think it's, you know, it always makes me a little bit sad that we have to make the business case for doing the right thing, but sometimes you do, right? Because there's so much going on and it is hard to prioritize 
so many different types of things. But if you think about it from that perspective of saying, you know, from a gender and racial diversity perspective, if we're not being looking for the best candidates and we're not ensuring that our organization is a place where those types of people want to work and can do great work and can lead us, then we are missing out financially and, and in our market. Um, and I mean, the same goes for, for social impact type work, right? Where it, it is sort of a, a risk management type of framework. And again, I would love for everyone to be doing it because it's the right thing to do and, and, and whatnot, but there is huge risks to not having a diverse team and to not, um, not being being conscious in how you are behaving in the world because then we see things like what happened with CrossFit. Uh, we've seen, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go on forever about companies that have suffered because of their poor choices in terms of their ethics and prioritizing profits over everything else. Um, mm-hmm. It is a huge risk to the financial su- success of your company if you're not thinking about all those other things. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, there's there's many there's many effects beyond, of course, the the human level and the, and the societal um, factor as well. So, for for us, like I said, it's 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 always important to you know build it in um, from day one. Um, I wanted to ask in general. This doesn't have to be specifically about you know the last couple of months that's been going on, but um, what are some challenges that you've faced personally as a leader, um, either through the home front or through the Upside Foundation? Um, because I know for our audience, they, they love to hear about um, some of those stories and struggles. Yeah. Oh, where do I begin? <laughs> um, I mean, I do think... Um, I think I said this earlier, but this has just been such a hard time to be in any sort of, and this has been a hard time to be a human being, right? Like there's just, there's a lot going on. It's very stressful. Everything changes so fast, but especially as a leader trying to make decisions about how this impacts your organization, how you need to respond to it, how you should change, what should change, what should stay the same um, is exhausting. So I think a big part of my challenge, which is not unique, is just the exhaustion of trying to keep up and stay informed and make choices and stick to those choices and know when you should depart from the choices you've made earlier um, has has definitely been a huge, huge challenge. my, I can go to other challenges as well, but my favorite reframe that I heard recently is, um, you know, maybe 2020 isn't canceled. Maybe 2020 is the year we've been waiting for. And I just loved that reframe of, you know, we all knew this was broken. We were all exhausted and overworked and we knew we're, you know, we're destroying the environment and government was corrupt. And, you know, we knew all this was a problem, but we were just too busy in our lives to make it a priority. And now my hope is that we will make these changes that we know have always been a problem, but are just too hard to ignore now. So um, I I do think there is great opportunity in this. Um, But I I think the most important thing we all have to do right now is self-care and time for thought and reflection because action and constant absorption of material isn't going to get us there. We have to take that time to step away and say, what fundamental changes do I need to make for my personal life, for my business, um, in order to ensure that I am on the right side of history and we are moving forward um, in alignment with all these these broken things that we're seeing in the world right now. Totally, absolutely, yeah. Step one is to acknowledge that, you know, it is broken in the first place, which is great, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a constant, um, it's a constant battle. It's not supposed to be easy, especially when you're trying to do something to, you know, make a positive impact, you're trying to change a system whether it's, you know, through your business, through your charitable initiatives, whatever it is. For us to uh, continue to do that. 
Um, so when it comes to the future of corporate social responsibility and giving uh, in Canada, mostly from a business side, um, what are your what are your thoughts on the future? Do you, do you have any um, you know predictions of what the future will look like? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I'll I'll start big and, and I'll go smaller. Um, so last year, the Business Roundtable, which is a group of the most powerful CEOs in the world, um, redefined the purpose of a corporation. So for the last forty years which to be very clear is not a long time in the history <laughs> of the world, we have operated on a principle of shareholder primacy, which means the number one job of an organization, of a corporation, is to make money for its shareholders. That is the most important job. Everything else is secondary. And of course, we see where that has gotten us. What they did in August of last year is redefine that to say we actually have five stakeholders that we need to be um, serving. Shareholders, yes, of course, you have to make money, otherwise you won't be around and nothing else matters. But you also have to serve your customers, right? Solve problems for people that matter. As you said earlier, look at your suppliers and how you're treating them and making sure you're treating people ethically and fairly. You need to look at your employees and you have an obligation to provide good jobs to people that actually allow them to live their lives and have enough money to live and be safe and comfortable. And five is looking at your community. So making sure that the impact you're having in terms of the environment and in terms of the people in your community, that you're not the only one who is benefiting from that, that everybody is, is coming along with you. And I really do think that that is the future. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last 10 years of millennials demanding this. Gen Z is demanding this even more so. I yep. think COVID and this current iteration of Black Lives Matter is going to push this even more forward. Um, I really just don't think people will have tolerance for companies that are exclusively focused on their bottom line anymore. So I think it's becoming absolutely all those pieces, um, but particular with regards to corporate social responsibility, thinking about how you're giving back to your community. And, you know, we talked about a few different um, formats that that can take earlier. Um, and I, I don't know that it you know, obviously the Upside Foundation is is the way that we have designed that makes sense for early stage high growth companies that don't have money to give, that don't have time to give. Um, but, you know, anyway, I think it's what's most important is you reflect on your greatest asset and what you think is the most valuable thing your company is doing and then think about how you can give that back, whether that be your time, your money, your product or your future value. I, I love that. I love how you have to think of it from all those perspectives. And we, as a as an agency, when we're working with new companies, especially um, starting out, it's so important to look at their mission, vision, and values from the beginning mm -hmm. because that's where you make these decisions, right? It becomes a core part of your business, and it's so easy to then make decisions on who to partner with, who to donate to, who to hire, right? Um, so I, I love that you kind of mentioned um, that process of, of things that people need to go through. And it is something that, you know, you may need to do on, a, on an annual basis as situations mm -hmm. need to evolve, right? The industry changes, the, uh, the economy changes, the, uh, the environment, social issues do come up. Um, obviously, you know, situations like the Black Lives Matter movement have been kind of building up. They've been there for sure. Um, now it's getting a lot of increased attention. Um, but even, you know, something like COVID that can come up all of a sudden, you know, you really have to figure out how you can still maintain your key, you know, mission, vision and values um, and, and know how to act accordingly um, during these times as well, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, you make a, a really good point. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how this can be so 
exhausting to try to figure out how to handle each of these things. And, and you know, even just that list of, of ways to give back and ways to think about your role, uh, the role of your company, um, that's a lot to think about. But what makes right. it easier is having those very clear mission, vision and values to come back to because that is what instead of making it be a, a brand new decision from scratch every time, every time you're faced with a choice, you can go back to what are our mission, vision and values? And what did they tell us the right answer is? And as long as you can keep going back to those things, that actually makes it way easier and way less of a cognitive load to try to make those decisions. Um, one of the uh, examples of this that I love is um, Aaron Burry and Kevin Olds, um, two um, very ethical leaders in the tech space, uh, who I'm a very big fan of. Um, they're upside members with their company Willful. Um, and so they do mm -hmm. online wills for people, right? So during a time like COVID, their business has been doing extremely well, right? You know, unfortunately, people are yep. thinking about their mortality, wanting to make sure their families are protected. So they've never had so many people wanting to do their wills. But they looked back at their values and made a very deliberate choice to say, we're not going to do fear-based marketing. We're not going to go out there with a campaign that says, scared you're going to die from COVID? Come sign up for your will today, right? They, they went back <laughs> to those core values and said, we don't operate out of fear. We operate out of informing people, empowering people, leaving a legacy. And that helped them to, yes, while they shifted their marketing campaign in light of COVID, they used their core values to inform the tone of that um, so that even though they had to redo everything, it was easier because they already had those values defined and they just had to figure out what the values meant in the new context. Totally, exactly. And, and, and regardless of whether their the idea or the opportunity was clear, they communicated it in a very um, sensitive way, right? That's, you know, a huge, huge, important, uh, a, a huge, important role is when you when you come to your marketing and communications of these initiatives that you're doing, how are you presenting them? Are they coming across the right way? Are they did they come across as too self serving? Or are they really an opportunity to actually help the community? And, you know, it's, it's a balance, because of course, businesses do need to be uh, very, they want to be recognized for what they're doing. And they do need to be very clear, and you have to promote uh, but it's it's kind of a balance of, you know, making sure that you're making an impact uh, and, and being humble about it as well. So, um, you know, yeah. I, I think that's a really good point, Daniel. I'd love to dive in on that. So, you know, historically, and I think it still exists to some extent, um, some people don't want to talk about what they're doing from a philanthropic perspective because they think it feels like bragging. They think, you know, well, if I'm just doing it for PR, then, um, you know, then that takes away from what I'm doing here. But I think what it does is it normalizes it, is it says to other people, this is what other people are doing. So first of all, right. it, you know, people can call it value signaling. Well, yeah, let's value signal. Let's make sure that all of our potential employees, all of our customers, all of our investors know who we are, know what we stand for, because that will make them want to work with us. And if they don't like that, then we don't want to work with them anyways. So to me, I think it's about making sure that you're attracting the right kind of people. And B, it's about saying to other companies, hey, this is okay that you do this. Hey, you have permission. I know you're a small company, but you can still be thinking about giving back and what your impact is. So I think the more companies talk about their charitable initiatives, the more it makes it an expectation for others to jump in and do the same. So, you know, we, that's one of the big things we talk about at Upside Foundation is make sure you're telling this story. We see people posting it in their job descriptions when they're posting to recruit new roles. If they say, you know, our company is socially responsible and here are some of the things that right. prove that this isn't just words for us, that we've actually taken action here. Um, and that sort of thing, 
um, really can distinguish your company when people are trying to evaluate which companies they want to work for and which companies share their values. Absolutely. There you go. It comes all the way down to the talent that you're looking to attract, right? And, and how it's a good fit. Um, we only have uh, five minutes left. So I wanted to um, just wrap up with a couple um, more takeaways is, and one of yeah. them is, are there any recommendations on books or podcasts or, or blogs or even Ooh. social accounts that people can follow for more info on, you know, making an impact, um, community building, CSR, uh, any, any of the movements that are happening right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, first of all, you can follow me because I'm obsessed <laughs> with this stuff and I will share all of the resources um, and, and you can sort of follow people from there. I post about this a lot, uh, especially on Twitter. Um, so, so definitely yes. uh, at Jen Coldry uh, is, uh, would be one of them. Um, depends how, how deep uh, down this path you want to go. But if you really want to think about the role of um, governments and corporations in our world and how they are framing um, sort of the rules of the game that everyone else operates in. Um, one book that, that was really profound for me is a book called Winners Take All by a man named Anand Giridharadas. Um, he's amazing. He actually responded to my tweet about the book. So I'm a very big fan. Uh, <laughs> but that is definitely a big shift. Um, there's uh that's funny, actually, I have my, my phone propped up on a bunch of books in front of me. So I'm looking at my books right now. I'm like, oh, which book do I recommend? <laughs> um, Conscious Capitalism is an amazing book. It's written by uh, one of the co-founders of Whole Foods. And it talks about this very concept of embedding um, a conscious into your business from all different perspectives um, and how it can actually be fundamental to your business. Um, and another one that I have here is Mark Benioff's uh, Trailblazer. So Mark Benioff is the founder of Salesforce. Um, so he is actually the one who launched the 111 model, which is where you donate 1% of equity, 1% of time, and 1% of product to charity. Um, so obviously his work informed Pled 1% in the US, which informs our work with the Upside Foundation. Um, but his book called Trailblazer, um, the tagline for it is values create value. And his whole story is about how their company values are what has led to them being a financially successful company. Um, so I would definitely check those out. Amazing. Thank you so much. And obviously for everyone here today, um, if you're interested in, in learning more, definitely follow Jen. Um, you can also follow the Upside Foundation. Uh, and please also do follow the Homefront. Um, all three of those accounts are, are on Instagram uh, and Twitter for sure, but you can just search them up because they're putting out a lot of um, resources and sharing some of the amazing work that is um, happening both with companies and uh, charitable work that's happening uh, in our community. Um, Jen, if there's, if there's a final message that you'd like to leave our audience with today, knowing that this will also be available um, later on as a podcast and uh, on our Instagram profile, um, what's something that you'd like to uh, share with our audience about making a social impact uh, as a business or as an entrepreneur? <sighs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think, I think what I would leave with is, um, is, is really just taking, taking the time to do the reflection on what you want your life to be, what you want your business to be, what you want your legacy to be, what you stand for, um, and, and making sure that that is reflected in the choices you're making um, in your personal life and in your business. Um, 
and and to accept that you're never going to be perfect and this is really really hard stuff this right. is really hard to try to figure out how to you know tick all of those boxes when none of them are just boxes to be ticked it's much easier to you know a very simple example it's much easier just to buy everything on amazon than it is to go find local businesses to order from right that's one very small example but mm. being an ethical consumer being an ethical business owner is way more work and takes way more of a cognitive load than just trying to do things the most efficient way possible um but ultimately that's sort of what got the world into the mess it is in today so um i would say do your reflection think about what matters most to you pick the few areas that you think you can have the most positive impact in that mm -hmm. you think are the most important focus on those and um and 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 don't beat yourself up for uh, for not being perfect on all fronts perfect it is a process it's a journey as we mentioned earlier thank you so much for joining us jen we only have 20 seconds left before instagram cuts us off so uh, <laughs> yeah that's great we had a value-packed uh session and and i really appreciate the time you take taking to help our community out and how to become um you know more of a socially uh engaged and uh, social purpose um to their business so thank you so much jen and we will talk to you soon awesome thanks so much Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Now Common Convos. If you're interested in catching these live, you can follow us on Instagram at nowcreates, where we host our weekly Instagram live conversations.